I feel like we have to start this episode by talking about what is probably not just the biggest storyline in football, but the biggest storyline in all of pop culture. And that is the fact that Travis Kelsey is bringing the Swifties and the football fans together because Taylor Swift was at the freaking Chiefs football game sitting in the suite with Donna Kelsey. Okay, people, I didn't know he was going to do this, so I can't be held responsible. And I'm very, very sorry. I, I, I mean, if you're excited about this, that's fine. But oh, the amount of coverage that this has gotten is just... And look at us. We're talking about it all because of you. But oh, I, I, I'm, I'm so done. I'm already so done. And of course, he caught a touchdown pass. So it was like, oh my goodness, it's Travis Kelsey. And look at her going crazy. Are you more done with Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift coverage or Deion Sanders, Colorado coverage? <laughs> I feel like the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey stuff got older faster because it doesn't have anything to do with football. Like, at least the Dion stuff has to do with football. But, oh, that's a really good question. I honestly think that the answer is probably Dion. And the reason is just because of the fact that it's like constant, right? The Taylor Swift stuff hasn't become constant yet, but definitely a chance that that does happen and probably will for the rest of the season. Or until they break up, inevitably, because Taylor Swift doesn't know what a long-term relationship is. <laughs> uh, I think my vote is also I'm more sick of the Dion stuff. I'm a little bit uh, – I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. They're fine. They've won some games. They've overachieved. Um, and, you know, the thing about the Dion stuff, too, is that it has brought some – casuals out of the woodworks when it comes to college football takes like there were people calling for that Colorado state player to like lose his scholarship for the late hit on Travis Hunter. There are some crazy takes coming out because of Deion Sanders right now. It's very much like what happens when an NFL team that's been really bad for a really long time gets really good. You see fans coming out of nowhere. The Cincinnati Bengals. Have you ever met a Cincinnati Bengals fan in your entire life? Answer, no. But now that Joe Burrow is there, Joey Swag, he's there. They got Jamar Chase. They went to a Super Bowl. They're a super good team now. And it's like, where are all these Cincinnati Bengals fans coming from? That's kind of what you see. Like It's the same thing as the Dion effect. The other good part about the Kelsey documentary and the Taylor Swift news is like, so we're recording on Monday night. The Eagles are playing Tampa right now. And my wife was scrolling through channels and she's like, hey, do you want to watch this game? And I couldn't think of a good enough reason to watch it. But then I was like, oh, Jason Kelsey, he's on the Eagles. Let's let's like watch the game because she watched the Kelsey documentary. And she was like, oh, heck yeah. Like, I want to watch Jason. So it's given the perfect excuse to like watch games that I have no rooting interest in, which is fantastic. And my wife is involved. 
the fact the fact that just the fact that his name is Jason Kelsey, like he's Travis Kelsey's brother, and she's like, "Yeah, let's watch that." He's an offensive lineman. You literally will not see him do a single thing the entire game, but she doesn't care. Exactly, exactly. But you didn't come here for pop culture. You came here for Big Ten football content. And if you love Big Ten football, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Big Banter, everybody. We've got a freaking loaded show. I mean, we're getting into conference matchups now. So we are slowly starting to figure out who these teams are. And if they are who we thought they were already, we had a high-profile matchup between Ohio State and Notre Dame. We had what was was supposed to be a high-profile matchup in Penn State and Iowa. And then we we had the whole spectrum of good, bad, and ugly this weekend for Big Ten football. Um... So we're going to get into all of it. Make sure you follow us on the socials uh, at uh, B1G Banter on Instagram. Uh, find us on Twitter. So with that, we got to start out with the primetime game that was absolutely wild in how this ended. So Ohio State goes into South Bend and comes out with a win, 17-14. Not how we're used to watching Ohio State play, although it is funny. They played a very similar style of game last year against Notre Dame when they won. The ending of this was crazy. So you had Ohio State driving, needing a touchdown to take the lead. Kyle McCord puts a football in a box and wraps it up, puts a bow on it to give an interception, a game-sealing interception to Notre Dame. Dude just drops it right through his hands, but still got a ways to go. Okay. Third and 19 McCord throws a laser to Abuka down at the one. And then two straight plays at the goal line. First one is a pass breakup. Next one is a handoff that they end up getting the game winning touchdown, but that's not the crazy part. The crazy part was after the fact, finding out that Marcus Freeman only had 10 guys out on the field for Notre Dame for both final plays. And there was a timeout in between there. Absolute mind-blowing, like, coaching fail on his part. I feel like the end of this game had had you kind of asking yourself the classic, well, did Ohio State win it or did Notre Dame lose it? But nonetheless, it's a great win for Ohio State. Their defense played lights out against Sam Hartman, who had been lighting the world on fire up to this point. So what... Ethan, what conclusions do you feel like you can draw from this for Ohio State? Like, what's the takeaway here on how you feel about this team going forward? The physicality of Ohio State and the question marks that have gone along with that, I feel like defensively, they answered a lot of those questions. Defensively, they were extremely physical. This was a really, really bang it out, drag it out kind of fight between these two teams. However, I do think there was an element of this game that had you thinking, are both of these coaches trying to give this game away? Because it felt like there were so many coaching mishaps and they just kind of went back and forth. And I mean, say what you want about, you know, what Ryan Day's comments were at the end of the game. You can go and 
you know, decipher that on social media, do whatever you need to do. I just felt like it was one of those situations where it's like, it felt like in, it felt like it was coming from a place of insecurity from Ryan day. And it was just real weird. And listen, this is a, this is the biggest win of the season by a big 10 team so far this year. Do not take that away from Ohio state. You can't take that away from Ohio state. Uh, freshman QB or redshirt freshman, whatever you want to say. First year as a starter, Cal McCord goes in there. He had a, he had a really good game. He had a pass that could have, like you said, been picked off in that last series, but he threw a laser beam to Emeka Abuka and uh, don't sleep on him. I mean, Abuka had a huge, huge game. He's a wide receiver one at just about any other university. That's going to be a very common theme going forward as Notre Dame was bracketing Marvin Harrison all night. You got to think teams are going to copy and paste that game plan and basically say, we won't let Marvin beat us, but we'll let other guys beat us. And Emeka is very capable of doing that. I think the one question that still remains for Ohio State after this game, and, and listen, they're, they have shown you that they are now going to try and play a different style of game. They're going to try and play a game where they can beat you 21-14. They're going to try and play a game where they're not required to score 38 points to win. They are going to rely on their defense. They're going to punt the ball deep. They're going to pin you back in your own territory. I just, I'm, I'm very, very interested to see if that is going to bode well for them against the Penn States and the Michigans of the world. Um, and where that's going to get them. Because I did think that Ohio State would lose this game. I took the plus three and a half, you know, with Notre Dame. Obviously, that ended up hitting, but it, it wasn't in the way that I anticipated it hitting. And Ohio State won this game. You cannot take that away from them. Guys, football is, it is a game of really, really, really fine margins. And Ohio State slid themselves into the winning side of that margin. So this is a huge, huge game for them. And I, I am not trying to take that away in any way, shape, or form. But there are still some question marks that go along with that. I think the one team right now in the Big Ten that I feel like really has kind of removed all question marks is Penn State. And we'll get into them next. But that's kind of where I'm at with the Buckeyes right now. Uh, I really couldn't agree much more with what you said. The defense was incredibly impressive. Like, it's not the typical way that we're used to Ohio State winning, like you mentioned. And so some people might watch that game and think that Ohio State has regressed as a team. But for that defense to hold Sam Hartman and Notre Dame's offense to 14 points, Sam Hartman and Notre Dame had not scored under 40 yet this year against anybody so far. So holding them to 14 is extremely impressive. And we talked about how Ohio State needed to get better when it comes to explosive plays. I can't remember a single explosive play that Notre Dame had, like a 20, 25-yard plus play. So it feels like they've addressed some of those concerns on the defensive end. Now, offensively, you still got to get better in certain situations. I I just want to harp on what you just said. 
defensively, it felt like they had everything contained the entire game. And, and you know what? I do think that late in the game, there uh, is the second half of the game. It really felt like Notre Dame's run game started to get going. But there was there was never that play that just burst, that just took off. Everything felt like it stayed in front of Ohio State. And that's a way you win these games. You're on the road. It's a really hostile environment. They kept everything in front of them. So that has to go into their favor. Yeah, offensively is where the question marks lie for me. And it still comes back to offensive line play and short yardage situations. And, you know, Ryan Day in his little rant afterwards talked about questioning, you know, toughness and Lou Holtz and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they converted the the one-yard run to get the touchdown to, to seal it. I get that. There were a lot of other short-yarded situations in that game that they came up empty. Uh, one of them being the fourth and inches that they ran a jet sweep on. Like, just some plays that you're like, whoa, where the heck did that come from? Like Ohio State fans had to be throwing remotes at their television watching that one. And that's a common theme with this team. It has been for a while. So what do I what do I know about Ohio State right now? I know that their defense is significantly improved over last year. You can take that to the bank. But I was thinking this during the game. As much as their defense has improved from last year, their offense may have regressed the same amount. Because you don't have a C.J. Stroud who's just placing the ball exactly where he wants it to go. You don't have these dominating offensive tackles that are right now in the NFL dominating NFL defensive lines. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And look, there are a lot of questions that are still going to be answered by this Ohio State team. And I, honestly, I, I feel like I left that game against Ohio State with or against Notre Dame with more answers than questions, for sure. And it feels like Ohio State, just like last year, they can stick with a really good team. They can play with a really good team. And I know they went out and beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame is not Georgia. Notre Dame is not Michigan. Notre Dame is not Penn State. I would pick all of those teams to beat Notre Dame. Let's so let's, I want to make that very clear. So we are still we are still in a place where I still believe that Ohio State would not beat one of those teams I was gonna say I was gonna say like let's bring the conversation back to the Big Ten because I also still believe even after watching that game that Ohio State is the third best team in the Big Ten I think currently Penn State is the best team in the Big Ten okay okay it's it's gonna I mean resume wise resume wise nobody has a better win than what Ohio State just did on the road against Notre Dame and I completely understand that. And I I will 100% concede that to them. But nobody has played the way that Penn State has played. You're right, 100%. And to put a bow on this Ryan Day and Ohio State stuff, you mentioned him 
sounding a little bit insecure in his comments where he was lashing out at Lou Holtz, which I watched the Lou Holtz clip. It it wasn't anything like based off of Ryan Day's response. I thought it was going to be way nastier and way more pointed, and it really wasn't. I would if you're an Ohio State fan and a player, you love it. Like injected into my veins, we're tough. Ohio against the world, love it. If you're an opposing team's fan or a player, which I'm a Michigan fan, I'm looking at that saying like, oh, you know what? I love this because I feel like he's going to make play calls out of insecurity and not out of what may win them the game. I think it's more so like a, we're in your head. Like if you're Michigan, if you are a top tier opponent and you look at those post-game comments and you, you you just, you know, you read it for what it is. You think to yourself, we're in his head, you know, and, and that's that's how you should feel. You should feel that way. Michigan's dominated that game the last two seasons. Look, Ohio State, I know you have a history the past two decades or whatever of, you know, dominating Michigan in the rivalry. But guess what? The here and now is here and now. And last two years, you have been wiped out in that game. So as a Michigan fan, you just have to read that and say, we're right where we want to be. And you can't take it any other way. So big statement win by Ohio State, beating Notre Dame 17-14. Statement performance by the defense. But I think we agree. Still some question marks on the offensive side of the ball going forward. So now let's get to a team where both of us agree I don't feel like there are any question marks and it's Penn state and they played a team where they've got one big glaring question mark. That's been staring them in the face for years. And that's Iowa in the offense. Penn state crushes Iowa at home in the whiteout 31 to zip. That is zero folks. That is goose egg. That is zero points. So Brian Ferentz is now officially back under the 25 points per game mark. He's like 21 and change after having one week where he floated above that number. I'm going to start here with Penn State, and that's the good, right? Um, Two Big Ten teams playing in this game, so it's a little different than what happened in that Ohio State game because that's just – you've got to give Ohio State their roses, right? Well, here – we definitely have to give Penn State their roses. Um, There was no more dominating performance in college football all weekend. This was an absolute beat your brains in. We are way better. We will out-physical you on both sides of the football. We're better on both sides of the football. Dominance from Penn State. in that whiteout, Cade McNamara never had a chance in this game. Iowa never had a chance in this game. Even if they played a very, very good game, which they didn't, they would have lost this game. I firmly believe, I firmly believe that Penn State would have beaten anyone in the country that night. On Saturday, Penn State played an absolutely unbelievable game. Penn State is so freaking impressive right now. I've watched a lot 
of their game so far this year, I don't know what the weakness is. I really don't. I cannot pick out a single unit. I cannot pick out special teams, defense, offense. I can't pick out one thing where I'm like, ooh, that looks iffy. They've just looked so polished. They've looked so put together. They don't make stupid mistakes. They don't commit costly penalties. They don't turn the ball over. Like, they look so, so good right now. And you might be right. They might be the best freaking team in the Big Ten. At least they look the part right now. Right now, for me, they are the best team in the Big Ten. And it has everything to do with the way that they completely play a football game on both sides of the ball. And I have, right now, I have no question in my mind that when Michigan does travel to Penn State to play them at Penn State, they're going to be an underdog. Michigan's going to have to win that game as a two and a half or a three point underdog. That's what's that. That's the reality we're looking at right now, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to be an absolute dogfight. I'm I'm going to be at that game. So I, I, that that game is going to be absolutely unbelievable. Um, and, and right now, for me, Penn State's the best team in the Big Ten. You've got to give it to Penn State right now. Ohio State, you have the best win. You went on the road. You beat Notre Dame. I understand that. If you want to say you're number two, that's fine. You're number two. Guess what? You have the game. You have two games on your schedule that matter from here on out. You have to play no you have to play Penn State at home and you have to travel to the big house to play Michigan. So, you're going to get to prove it. All three of these teams, one of them's going to prove it. Because one of them, and I'm making this prediction right now, one of them is going undefeated. One of these three teams is leaving the Big 10 East as an undefeated Big Ten East champion. And one of the others might still get into the playoff. I'm not sure. It might come down to the Michigan-Ohio State game at the end of the year. And Penn State might be that undefeated team. I don't know. But as of right now, the way that I'm looking at it, absolutely unbelievable by Penn State. So we've sung the praises of Penn State. I think their fans know what they have and know what how good of a football team they have. Uh, Corey is here now. Hello, Corey. Glad you could join us and make some time for the podcast. Right. I mean, I understand we're talking about Big Ten football, but have you guys heard that Travis Kelsey? We stop. It's what Alex started the show with. We cannot do it. No, we're already done. We're already done. So let's turn it back over to Alex real quick. Let's go from something uh, – Let's go from a sexy football team to a not-so-sexy football team. The Iowa Hawkeyes in this game against Penn State. Okay, let's So let's preface this and just get this out of the way before we get roasted and they're like, well, we didn't have blah, blah, blah. Lachey, tight end, not there. Uh, top two running backs, not there. Okay, we get that 100%. You should still be able to go into a conference matchup and do better than four first downs and 76 total yards of offense. Cade McNamara went five for 14 with 42 yards and their leading rusher 
had 18 yards. This was one of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen in my entire life. And if you are the University of Iowa, how do you even let Brian Ferentz get to the end of the year to have a chance at 25 points per game? Oh, Lord, help me, please, please, please help me, please. Oh, this is a Christian podcast. We're we're all Christians on this podcast. Hallelujah! I just that's what I, I, I'm I'm telling you guys right now. I I'm I'm hopped up on some something right now because the way that the Iowa Hawkeyes came out and played in this football game is an absolute disgrace to college football. Your quarterback went out there. Your transfer quarterback, who, by the way, trounced you, pantsed you in a Big Ten championship game at Michigan, is a mockery of his former self. And it has everything to do with the coaching staff at Iowa. I don't want to hear about your running backs being out. I don't want to hear about your tight end being out. I don't want to hear about how good Penn State's defense is. I know how good they are. The fact that you went 5 of 14 for 42 yards tells me everything I need to know about how trash your program is. Okay? Not, not, oh, it's just your offense. It's this, it's that. No. No. We're we're all done having the conversations about, oh, but their defense is so good. It'll keep them again. You're not winning the West. You're not a threat to win the West. You're not a threat to win anything. If you play a team with a pulse, you are going to lose. Your quarterback went 5 of 14 for 42 yards. Your leading rusher was 6 carries for 18 yards. I don't care if you were playing an NFL team. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State would all go out there right now against the Cleveland MFing Browns or the Pittsburgh Steelers and put up better numbers than what you just put up against a four, another college football team. That is an absolute mockery of the Big Ten. And you, Iowa, you specifically are doing exactly what I said at the very beginning of this season. Please, for the love of God, don't let the Big Ten West be this. That is what you are. Wisconsin. You are now our only hope. Iowa is absolute trash. You're garbage. The Ferentz father-son duo, they shouldn't have gotten back on the plane. They shouldn't have been allowed to get on the plane to go home. You hand them, here, whatever money it is we owe you at Iowa, here it is. Take the money and take your own plane back to wherever it is that you live in Podunk nowhere. I don't want to see your face Ever again. If I was an Iowa fan, I would be absolutely beside myself. There is, and and boys, I pray to God you agree with me. There is zero excuse for you ever to put up numbers like that in a college football game. I don't care. You can look at the look at the games that teams have played in the Big Ten in the non-conference. Non-conference. The terrible teams that Penn State has played, they played West Virginia. They played Dogwater University. 
They all put up better numbers than what Iowa did on Saturday. Iowa's offense is such, and we had so much fun playing this little game and playing the, oh, we're going to track the points and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be so funny. It's not funny anymore. You just went out there and not only embarrassed your own school and embarrassed your own program, you you embarrassed the entire Big Ten. Penn State played Delaware earlier this season. Delaware had one more first down than Iowa, and they actually had over 100 yards of total offense. They had 140 yards of offense, and Iowa had like 70-something, I think. I, I, I can't. I, I'm so, so beside myself. This is exactly I, – I, I want it so badly – and I believe we all pick Penn State to cover in this game, if I'm not mistaken. I think we all pick Penn State. And it was, it was, it was one of our, it was one of our super locks. And it was one of the super locks I felt so confident in because I was like, Iowa just doesn't have it. I thought, okay, Iowa loses, and it's gonna be something like 20, 20 you know, like 30 31 to, 10. to 7 or something like that, and, and blah, blah, blah. No. You put zero points on the board, and it was you were never close. You were never close. It, it it's an absolute disgrace what you did on that football field. Personally, I still think the point counter is funny. I mean, I don't know about you. Ethan has Ethan has strong opinions on this. I I don't think we've seen this in the modern college football landscape of an offense that was so inept the year previous. And then you just say, Oh yeah, that's fine. We're just going to roll back with it. Other, other than, you know, the fact that the offensive coordinator is the uh, head coach's son. That's the, this, this is literally the only reason I know we all thought that, but we're literally watching this play out live in front of our eyes. And so like, it's not just like, Oh, narcissism. Like, no, this is the definition of narcissism right here. It's, it's unbelievable. It's not a joke anymore. It's not funny. As Ethan was saying, it's unbelievable. I, I was thinking like you could separate the two Kirk and Brian Ferentz, just given the, given the, uh, the history that Kirk Ferentz is with this right now, this is a blatant slap to the face of the, to the university and to the fans. I'm not, if I'm a Hawkeye fan, I want both of these guys gone yesterday. I agree with you a thousand percent, Ethan, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. I, I'm so beside myself right now about two Big Ten teams. And, of course, they both lie in the West because the Big Ten West is just that. They're a joke. They're a mockery. And, I, I Corey, I couldn't have said anything you just said better myself. And the fact that there was there there it feels like there's just zero sense of responsibility coming from the Iowa coaching staff whatsoever and it's like there there is literally audio you can go look it up on, on Twitter go go find it there's audio of Cade McNamara screaming to the sideline I can't hear an effing thing we can't run an effing play I I mean your quarterback Cade McNamara is not a freshman. He's not a sophomore. This guy is a veteran quarterback. He knows how to operate inside of an offense. No such thing exists at Iowa. Alex, Corey, 
There is no offense. We made jokes about the fact that, well, huh, they can't get any worse. And, oh, look at this. They brought in Eric All and they brought in Cade McNamara. At least they'll be better because they brought in those two guys. They're actually worse than they were last year. That That is, that is mind-boggling. And these guys are still the coaches there. Yeah, you got to think, Cade has just got to be beside himself, right? He's He's got to realize that he just let his competitive nature get the best of him when choosing Iowa. He, he, he's got to be regretting it, right? He cannot possibly think that he made a good decision after this last weekend because he was talking all that talk in the offseason like, Oh, I hope that everyone keeps talking about how bad of an offense we are. Like, please keep talking about how crappy we are, blah, 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 and how we don't score points. And now he's probably like, oh, shoot, they were all freaking right. Because I was just, my expectations for them have dropped significantly. And like you said, Ethan, if Wisconsin does not run away with the West now, I don't know what I'm going to do. But let's get to another Big Ten West team. I believe the one you were referring to, Ethan, that has now been reduced to trash and it's Minnesota. So Minnesota played Northwestern this week. Okay. North Northwest Northwestern, the Wildcats, who hadn't won a game in America before this year since, you know, it was the year was probably 1962. Okay. North Minnesota had a 31 to 10 lead on Northwestern late in this game. After they took the 31 to 10 lead, Northwestern had five drives in the game, including overtime. They scored touchdowns on four out of their final five drives. And Northwestern ended up winning this game 37 to 34. They overcame a 21-point deficit to Minnesota by scoring touchdowns on four out of five drives to end the game, including overtime. This immediately, immediately to me, puts P.J. Fleck on the hot seat. Because you're telling me, you are telling me as a Minnesota Golden Gopher fan, I'm putting myself in their shoes, you're telling me that you had Tanner Morgan and you had Mo Ibrahim and you had you had this stable team for what felt like five years that these guys were just staples at Minnesota. And over four or five years of having these guys on your squad, you couldn't build any kind of pipeline of talent behind that. I mean, you didn't switch quarterback. You didn't switch running back. You didn't switch anything for forever. You had so much time to build a foundation and build a pipeline of talent. And now those guys leave and you're blowing 21 point leads to Northwestern, who by all accounts is a bottom five team in college football this year. It is absolutely inexcusable that you do not have a team to field to clinch and seal a 21 point lead against Northwestern. It is inexcusable. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I can't even describe to you what my feelings were on Saturday, Saturday night. And, and it's like, I, I mean, Minnesota is just cruising to an easy victory in this game. They're up 31 to 10 against 
one of the 10 to 15 worst teams in Division I football. I mean, Northwestern is the baddest kind of bad that you can wrap your brain around. And for them, for Minnesota to lose this game, not only does it put P.J. Fleck on, on the hot seat, I, 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 oh my goodness, I'm going to pull it up right now, and I'm sorry to make this a part of the show, but I, I, I just, this is real. This is real life. I sent you guys, I sent you guys a text message, and I don't think I can read it verbatim here on the podcast. But I sent you this message, and I said to you guys after that game ended, first of all, I said, I'm going to pop a blood vessel on the pod going in on Minnesota. Pray for them. And then I said, PJ Fleck is an atrocious, uh, let's just say, bad coach that has tricked those people into thinking his ugly fat necktie wearing self is actually a football coach jokes on them he's scott frost he really did say the word bad people he he said it that is not a lie he said the three letter word to us i i i can't wrap my brain around how bad of a coaching performance this truly is for pj fleck he has swindled the Minnesota fan base into thinking, oh my gosh, we went out there and we got the next rising star of a coach and nothing but disappointment has ensued since. There is a reason nobody has come calling. Ring, ring. Oh, it's PJ Flex agent. You'd like to pay him how much to go coach where? Nowhere? Oh, okay. Well, I guess he's staying at Minnesota. There is a reason that that has not happened. P.J. Fleck is a fraud. He's a fraud. And this game was 100% the confirmation that I needed to hop all aboard the, uh, guess what? We ain't rowing no boat. The boat's sinking and I'm jumping off. Because you just lost a game to an absolutely terrible opponent. And guess what? You were spotted 21 points in the process. The fact that they were up 31, if this would have been one of those games where it's just like Minnesota doesn't show up and they end up losing by one, like I still would have been calling for PJ Flex job. No, that's not what happened. They were up by 21 points and found a way to lose this game, which is beyond unforgivable. Listen. I was a big PJ Fleck believer, just like most people here. Um, when Northwestern is the running joke of this podcast, and you lose a game in that caliber, that I turned off this game because I thought this was over. And then, lo and behold, the most improbable comeback of all time. They they made Bryant look like Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. There, I mean, what the guy had four touchdown passes. That guy couldn't complete a pass week one. Like this is ridiculous. The only this, other than what Ethan said, the only way, the only way that PJ Fleck keeps his job is if he goes out and wins the West, and that's not happening. So PJ Fleck is as good as gone. So you could just fire him now, and then pick up the pieces later. Because, oh my goodness, you cannot lose that game 
in that fashion. It is, it is unfreaking believable. And the unfortunate thing is, like, you don't even know who to point the finger at. The offense seemingly performed fairly well. Kilimanjaro had an okay game, but I don't think he was the reason. They had a ton of rushing yards as well, and then the defense just collapsed on itself. But you could point the finger at every... That's one of those losses where, like, everybody has a hand in it, but you're not really sure who's to blame the most, and then it falls on the head coach. That is not a good spot to be. And the only option and way to get out of that hole is unfortunately coaching change. Hey, look, I know we're talking a lot about Minnesota here and rightfully so shout out to Northwestern man shout out to those kids for playing hard not giving up like they've gone through they've gone to hell and back this offseason with their football program and for them to stick in there and come back against that Minnesota team and win at home at night kudos to them kudos to them all right let's hop to another Big Ten West showdown this one was Wisconsin and Purdue. Wisconsin t- uh, takes the victory 38-17. to 17. Guys, I feel like we saw exactly from Wisconsin what we had been begging to see for the past couple of weeks. And what we wanted was for Tanner Mordecai to not throw it 40 times and for Braylon Allen to get the ball. And that's exactly what happened. Tanner Mordecai threw it 27 times, went 17 of 27, super efficient, Uh, No touchdowns, one interception, but he did have two rushing scores. He ran for 44 yards in this game, which is something that, to be quite honest, I didn't know Tanner Mordecai had in his bag. And then Braylon Allen, they gave him the ball 16 times. And, of course, you feed college football's Derrick Henry the ball 16 times. He's going to do something pretty spectacular with it. He ran for 116 and two touchdowns, averaging over seven a carry. Uh, the bad news from Wisconsin in this in this one, and I don't know the extent of the injury yet. Uh, Ches Malusi looked like, I mean his his foot and ankle were pointed in the wrong direction at one point. Ches Malusi's college career is over. That's that's where that injury stands. I, I mean, do we know f- what it is technically, like officially? It was it was a it was a complete fracture. It was a complete break. Yeah, that did not look good. Um, so going forward, you do miss him as a weapon. But Wisconsin felt like they learned some things over the past couple of weeks, game planning wise. And they went into Purdue on the road at night, right? Against the spoiler makers, a team that everyone slips up against. And they didn't slip up. They come out with a big road win, 38 to 17. And I think for me, it just puts more confidence in me picking them to win the West. Uh, Corey, what did you think about, about Wisconsin's performance? We just need as a collective group here, because we've been saying the same thing for weeks now. And then the coaching staff finally listened to us. Oh, let's give Braylon Allen the ball. And then look what happens. You have a, your most, uh, dominant and impressive win of the season. When you just give your freak athletes the ball, you said it perfectly there, um, I don't. I never want to say uh, teams will take advantage of an injury, especially an injury that is, you know, pretty horrific for you know that student athlete uh, in Chaz Malusi. Um, but now you have no choice but to feed your most talented player. So blessing in disguise, maybe I don't know. I think 
you're just going to have to rely on your bell cow now because your back is against the wall. You don't have a second option. Um, and we're going to see how much of a freak Braylon Allen is because he will be that only option. Mordecai had a few runs on the ground, but he still had an interception in this game. And luckily, you know, you know, they're facing uh, Purdue, which is a turnover machine uh, right now. Um, and the spoiler maker has one in the chamber for Ohio state later in the year. But um, yeah, it's, it's it why not do this week one why wait until the first game in big 10 play to finally do this and show what you're made of because you've been infuriating your fans to this point i i honestly think and i know he had over 100 yards i honestly think braylon allen still didn't touch the ball enough but wisconsin off wisconsin's offense was so proficient in this game and they really kept the possessions down which i liked because that's all, that is Wisconsin football. Keep the possessions down. You score. You keep your opponent from scoring. You win. And that is a recipe for success. And Wisconsin's done it for a really long time. Um, I'd love to see a game where Braylon Allen touches the ball 25 times. I'm still kind of waiting for that. Um, but I was still very impressed what, with what Wisconsin was able to do. They are, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, they are the only hope for the Big Ten, for the West. They're the only hope for the Big Ten West. And thank God it's being done away with at the end of this season because of the fact that it is what it has become over the last decade. We've had how many Big Ten championship games now? They are over. It's just a celebration for the Big Ten East winner to go out there and show off to their fan base, look, we get to win a championship game and get a ring, and it's so much fun. They have they have no hope. Wisconsin is their hope. And right now, I will tell you, Wisconsin's best comparison in the East is Maryland. It is none of the top three teams in the Big Ten East. They would be double-digit underdogs to all three of those teams. So we are still in a place where I feel like the Big Ten West is so underwhelming. However, Wisconsin, you are headed in the correct direction. And they made I, – I, I want to give them their kudos because they went out there and they, they did what they should have done against Purdue. And they wiped the floor with them. They played the way better game, and I now fully expect Wisconsin to take control and dominate the West. That is now your expectation. Go out there and win 10 games. You mentioned a team that I want to go to next, Maryland. Man, Maryland's so freaking good. And I know you said that that's the comparison for Wisconsin as far as teams in the Big Ten East. I think Maryland would win the West if they were over there, like pretty much hands down. Maryland took care of business this week against Michigan State 31-9. to And after two weeks in a row where Maryland really came out the gates slow against inferior opponents, they turned that on its head this week against Michigan State. They got out to a 21-zip to lead and did not look back. Talia played a really good game, 223 yards and three touchdowns. Noah Kim had two interceptions, so not great from him. I mean, Maryland just kind of took it to him. You know, 
And with Michigan State, with all the noise off the field, you hate to go out there and have a performance like this. But I think uh, I think we're kind of learning who Michigan State is. And I think, unfortunately, Ethan, I think Corey and I are probably – we're more correct in our prediction than than you might have been. What, I, it's the almost the exact same thing with the Iowa offense as it is to the Michigan State defense. Michigan State has not had a productive pass defense in the last – five seasons or however it feels like five seasons they are getting absolutely shredded in the secondary i have said this till i'm blue in the face i know i'm a hater i know i'm biased but this is two weeks in a row where you are playing at home and you have had your pants pulled down this team is bad not kudos to merit this tell this game tells us more about michigan state than it does maryland maryland is gonna this is exactly what maryland does okay they play tough against the you know the teams that they should beat in their schedule and then they you know they keep you know throwing a couple punches against some of the big dogs but then they eventually lose this is the story of maryland michigan state has had such a fall from grace and i don't want to pile on to them because a lot of this this entire tucker situation isn't their fault just like it wasn't their fault for the northwestern situation it's not their fault but this is a bad 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 football team and we have too many of those in the big 10 right now so i i kudos to maryland but geez it's the same thing for michigan state you had a problem in your secondary and it hasn't been addressed and teams are exploiting it and they will exploit it until you stop it and it's not happening anytime soon i i i feel like i i should get a little bit of a reprieve from this because of what happened with the coaching situation at Michigan state. Um, but you know what? I, I'm just going to own it. Um, I thought Michigan state was going to be one of those teams that would surprise some people. I thought that they would come out and be a team that was going to contend to win seven or eight games. Uh, that that's no longer on the table. Say what you want about their coaching situation or whatever. This team was just not ready to win games. Um, And that has become very apparent over the last two weeks. And it's going to continue to be apparent, I think, throughout the remainder of the schedule. So um, just, you know, not not what I expected. And I'm going to own that. And and Michigan State has let, you know, me down with my expectations. And I think the bigger story here is Maryland. Maryland. And what their potential is, what their ceiling is. Um, obviously, they play in the Big Ten East, which is kind of loaded. So, going to be hard to make moves there. But we shall see. Yeah, Maryland plays each of the Big Three in the Big Ten East this year. So, we are going to find out if Maryland is just still Maryland. Or can they take a couple of these teams? You know, can they take an Ohio State, a Michigan, or a Penn State to the brink. You know, they did that to Michigan last year. They kept it close until really, really late. So we'll see if they can do that again and maybe even get across the finish line, right? Have they turned a corner as a program? You know, has Loxley got it a little bit figured out over there? We'll see. But, um, but yeah, we're, we're learning more and more about these teams as time goes on. I do want to say this is probably the worst year for Maryland to peak because – literally every other team outside of Michigan State and Indiana is peaking in in the East. 
And that's really unfortunate because Maryland has taken a lot of strides. So I, I don't want that little segment to sound like I'm not giving Maryland any credit because we've talked about Maryland being that team that could steal a couple games here. But like if the Maryland like brass is questioning after the results of this season, whether or not they should go in a different direction, don't. It seems like Loxley is their guy. We'll see if they can, you know, out or outlast the Big Ten schedule once they start getting a little bit tougher and they got pushed around in the second half of, you know, the past couple of seasons and adapt to Big Ten play. Um, but I do think the addition of the Pac-12 teams will help their style of play as they try to morph into, you know, what the conference is going to look like from here on out. All right, let's get into another beast of the East, Michigan takes on Rutgers. They get the win 31-7 after starting off a little bit slow. Gavin Wimsat hit that long touchdown pass right out the gates, and then Michigan kind of failed to get a first down, and J.J. missed a couple of passes. But they they got the train back on the tracks pretty quickly and slowly but surely ran away with this one. Not a ton to break down here, but do we have any questions about Michigan going forward and I'll let you guys marinate on that for a second. I think my only question resides in, I don't think the offensive line is up to the standard that we're used to seeing it at the past two years. I expected it to take a step back, but I think it's taken a few more steps back than I expected it to. So that's something to watch going forward. But I know there were some people who were concerned with JJ having the three interception game against Bowling Green. He looked a thousand times more comfortable this last Saturday and not trying to excuse a three interception game against Bowling Green. Not acceptable. Can't happen. And we've kind of seen that from JJ, right? Like he looked great all of last year and then two pick sixes against TCU. Like you can't have a blow up game like that, but it seemed like they were kind of, they were hiding the playbook a little bit. Like there were a lot more true read options where he could kind of tuck the ball and run this weekend he was much more decisive when it came to just scramble runs too. He looked a lot more comfortable. So you never know with Michigan, you never you never know with any team really how much of the playbook they're kind of concealing and hiding away. But all that to say, I don't think JJ is a question mark at all. I don't think the running game is a question mark. Blake Corum is still Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards seems like he has some things to work out. I do think the offensive line could be a bit more of a concern than we're used to, though. I think that's really the only thing I'm worried about with Michigan going forward. Uh, there was one point that uh, Jake Butt was making in this broadcast about how there wasn't a whole lot of separation with the receivers in this game. Uh, and Alex, you've been saying that for years about, you know, there needs to be a guy who's able to um, make some plays on his own. And they were talking about the passing game this week was relying a little bit on more on like the gadget plays. Um, and that's fine when those things work, but when they don't, that's when you're going to need to rely on your, you know, your talent on out wide and then some of your tight ends. Um, I think there's only so much that you can take because as you said, like the playbook isn't being, uh, unpacked a whole lot. And I, I think in a huge part to the Ohio state game last year was they caught Ohio state off guard several times in that game. And I think they're going to do that as well. Um, but in the midst of that, you're throwing in a little bit of a different style of offense. You're doing more uh, read plays. Uh, JJ even came out and said that, you know, um, they weren't going to run the ball with him as much until Big, Big Ten play happened. 
And with that, that means you're not giving as much wear and tear onto Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards as well. So they're going to be even more fresh. And may, maybe that's just me being hopeful um, for the end of the year. But uh, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And I'm going to stick in the camp of we might not know what this offense completely looks like until the end of the season. I, I honestly think that um, right now, if I were to do a power ranking for the Big Ten, I, I would be forced to put Michigan three, and that is just because of the caliber of opponent that they have played so far. And and mind you, that does not mean that I would pick them to lose to either Penn State or Ohio State. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is just I feel like there is just a level of unknown about this Michigan team, especially with what you touched on, Alex, about the O-line. Um it feels like anytime Donovan Edwards is out there, they become so much less interested in blocking for him for some reason. I think that's, I think more, that's of more of a Donovan issue Donovan. than an offensive line Donovan. issue. I feel like there's some plays where you there's, can see the holes and he's just not seeing them right now. Yeah, and and, and things are slow to develop, and that's got to change. I mean, there's some things for this Michigan team that have to change going forward. Um, I, I'm not going to set the panic button or anything like that, but there's some stuff that's got to get fixed for this Michigan team moving forward. Um, I don't have a ton to dissect or diagnose. I think the defense is playing really, really well. Um, I think they have a very good defense, and I think there's they got some players back. You saw Will Johnson back out on the field, and guess what? Guys don't get to catch passes when Will Johnson's guarding them. Uh, so, and Mike Sainer still, <laughs> he is proving to be an elite level corner as well himself. So, you know, we'll see going forward once they get into the meat of the schedule, but I'm still kind of in a wait and see mode with Michigan. So let's get to the rest. We'll finish this up really quick. Uh, scores for the week. Illinois pulled out a win against Florida Atlantic, 23 to 17. Nebraska pulled out a win against Louisiana Tech, 28 to 14. And then in what ended up being a nail biter, the Akron Zips took Indiana to the limit, and Indiana did get a win in overtime, twenty nine to twenty seven. I mean, come on, they've they if they're going to get serious about football, they got to make a coaching change in this off season. But I, I just don't think they're serious about football. I don't think they care all that much. But so those are the scores. That was the week, and like we said, we are learning more and more about these teams as the weeks go by. We're in the we're getting into the heart of of conference play now, which is freaking awesome. So make sure you don't go away. Make sure you don't miss a week. Follow and subscribe wherever you are listening to us on Apple and Spotify. Leave us a review. We appreciate it. Follow us on the socials, B1G Banter on Instagram threads and then Twitter. One of them's B1G Banter Pod. I can't remember what it is right now, though. But make sure you follow us. Make sure you listen every week. We will talk to you again. Peace.